Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to a very special bonus episode of Monoreal Radio. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And I would like to say that we're happy to be here talking to you. And it's not that we don't like coming into the studio, but if we're here, it means we're not there. And by there, we mean Walt Disney World, which means vacation is over and we're back home where it is cold. I don't know about you, but I was not really ready to come back into the cold just yet. No, everything was a pretty rude slap in the face as far as coming back between the temperatures dropping. I got what I thought was a cold, which, all right, you know, I'm on a plane, I'm in Disney, stuff happens, but that very quickly downward spiraled into something worse. So I'm, I'm fighting off plague. So it was just a rude awakening coming back. Plane plague. You're fighting off the plane plague. Yeah. I believe uh, it was... John Sicari of Big Fat Panda, who referred to it as amusement park crud. Yes. Which, you know, understandable, but this this is way more than that. No, it's more than that, without a doubt. And it also probably didn't help a few reasons, or a few things that didn't help. The extreme change in temperature between being in central Florida and being back home on Long Island, but even some of the drastic temperature changes in Florida when we were down there. Yeah, Florida was having a rough week weather-wise. Yeah, I mean, we got rained on... I mean, it, it's Florida. You get rain every day in Florida, but we got, like, doused in rain every day for long periods of time. Yeah, this was pretty much the universe getting even with us for otherwise lovely weather on every single other trip that we've done. The most insane thing was that our day at Epcot was 94 degrees and our next day at Hollywood Studios was like 63. I've never seen a shift like that in temperature in Florida before. It's usually fairly consistent. But they must have gotten the outer band of whatever cold front, uh, cold front blew through the Northeast because they got snow back at home while we were down there. And that's early for us. Really early. Yeah, for like upstate New York, not so early. But for Long Island, yeah. It also didn't help that we were leaving the beautiful Pop Century Resort, and I don't say that ironically. I always liked Pop Century, but boy, were you and I ever surprised when we opened that door when we checked in. I wish we had had the presence of mind to throw on a video or even just the audio for our reactions because we had heard that they were doing renovations to all the value resorts and I knew that they were getting rid of all the carpets and they were putting in uh, like a laminate floor instead so I was super stoked for that but I didn't know they were redoing the entire room and I was absolutely floored by these renovations um so much cleaner looking um, so much more efficient use of space. Disney's doing um, cruise-style rooms now, so you can see the influence from the cruise ships in there. I mean, we haven't cruised with Disney, but we have been on cruises before, and you could see just with the way that they... Um, you know, added added cabinets and added storage, um, you could definitely tell that influence there. And um, I think... What probably impressed me most is that by default, Disney always gives you two double beds, whether you need them or not. And for us who, you know, we don't have kids, we only need the one bed. So now they have 
the second bed is a Murphy bed and they give you a lot more space for a table. That table was huge. It was like the size of a table you'd have in your kitchen. And I loved the little kitchenette slash bar area that we got. It became our little boozy nook, (laughs) you know, boozy nook um, with uh, they had the mini fridge. So we stocked it. We used um, Garden Grocer, who's wonderful. We use them every time we go down and they they deliver right to the resort. We got case of water. We got cereal for breakfast in the morning. It's like snacks, a 12 pack of beer. Just save because for us, when we go for this long, we were there for almost two weeks. You do try to save money where you can. And. I love the fact that we had all that space and it was like having our own little pantry area. It was perfect. Yeah, and the bathrooms too. They did, instead of, um, you know, a regular door, they have the sliding doors. The sliding or, panels. Or a pocket door yeah. for the toilet area. So just so much more room and it made getting ready and getting out in the morning so much easier. Yeah, I was blown away. The TV is huge. Um, we did have to look for a minute to find the safe because the safe was always like tucked into the wall over by the bathroom. It took us a few minutes to find it. It was actually in the dresser underneath the television in one of the cabinets. But yeah, lots of cabinets, pocket doors, cubby spaces, and you can store things under the bed, which I really liked. We were able to put the suitcases under there. In the past, you weren't able to do that because people would lose things under there. But now they've kind of loosened up on that and the beds are elevated. And I think my favorite feature was they had the USB outlets everywhere. Oh my God, so many more ports to charge things. It was great. We didn't have to switch back and forth to charge our phones or charge cameras, which usually we are, you know, charging things in shifts. Yeah, there were two nightstands. There were tons of outlets. I really can't say enough about how great the renovations are at the Pop Century to the point that I almost can't believe that that's a value resort. I think we actually ended up spending more time in the room because it was so nice than we usually do. Like there were nights where we were just like ready to go back and instead of going to Springs or maybe staying out at the hotel bar, we would opt to go back and enjoy the room and just have a beer there. Yeah. And we uh, we utilized the pool bar only once for that reason. We had thought we went to Disney Springs a lot on this trip. Uh, Every other day, I'd say we were in Disney Springs and it's always our intention. We're going to have drinks at the pool and we're this and we're that. And between having Garden Grocer bring us things, plus the fact that the room was so comfortable and so nice to be in, more times than not when we were back at the resort, it was just, you know what? We already got the beers in the room. Just pop a beer and stay rather than go down to the pool. I mean, that's how nice the rooms are. You could almost go there just to spend a week in the room, hang out in the pool, have a bite to eat at the at the uh, the food court, and uh, and watch Disney movies. Like I, I, it sounds crazy, but I was that blown away by the renovations that they did. If you're interested in checking it out for yourself, you can get in touch with me at j.zolezzi at magicalvacationplanner.com. Um, most of the value resorts are done. Some of them are not. Some of them are in transition where certain buildings are done, certain, certain ones aren't. Um, so I'll help you weed through all of that so we can get you one of the new rooms. Yeah, and hopefully everything that we tell you here helps sell you on a trip to Disney if you're on the fence because we kind of wanted to virtually bring you on vacation with us. Um, And we thought, well, how do we do that? 
Do we bring the camera and shoot a bunch of videos, put them on YouTube? No, that's not really us. We are a podcast. You know us as such. So we were able to bring the digital recorder down, our little studio in your pocket, and uh, we brought it into the parks with us. And this was something that, I don't know about you, I was really excited to give this a try. Yeah, same. You know, we're not typically a parks podcast. There's a lot of wonderful parks podcasts, you know, that are that are produced by people who live locally, who can be on top of everything that's new and can give you that new news immediately, um, you know, which unfortunately we're not able to. So we wanted to put our own spin on it. What we did this time is what we always do. We compare it to the movies. So we went through land by land, ride by ride in certain cases. And, uh, you know, we talked about, how we feel the attraction is close to the movie or not in some cases. Right. You know, was it on brand? Did they get all the details right? Or in some cases, did it fall short? And we started our day with uh, breakfast at Be Our Guest. It is a picturesque morning here at the Magic Kingdom Park at Walt Disney World in Orlando. When you book these trips far ahead of time, this is the kind of weather that you dream of. There's not a cloud in the sky, but it's not devastatingly hot out. Also, pro tip, if you want early access to the parks, book yourself an early 8 a.m. reservation. And you get in and beat the crowd through security. You get some nice pictures before it's overcrowded and there's a ton of people in them. It's perfect. That's the exact thing that we did this morning. And we had breakfast at the Be Our Guest restaurant here. And I, I still call it New Fantasyland because to us it's New Fantasyland. I'll think at this point it's just Fantasyland. It's the newest part of the park. Yeah. Until Tron goes in, really, it's the newest thing. Right. I mean, don't tell the park that because the lines here are just as busy and as crazy as they were as when the section of the park reopened a few years ago, up to and including uh, the Be Our Guest restaurant at Beast Castle, where we did have breakfast for the first time this morning. And as you approach the castle, and we're going to talk a lot today about branding, whether something is on brand, out of the gate walking up to the castle, being greeted by the cast members in their uniforms that they wear here, and and just seeing the beautification around the castle and seeing some of the quote-unquote damage that the beast has caused as soon as you walk in. I think out of the gate, the branding is spot on here. Yeah, this time for breakfast, I wasn't quite as awestruck because we have dined there before for dinner. So there's nothing like that first time when you walk in and you see the main ballroom with the chandeliers. They just knocked it out of the park down to every last detail. And one of my favorite things about it, um, we got to sit near the window, quote unquote window today, uh, how they fake the outside on the snowy day and you know, because the castle's enchanted, they make it look like it's snowing. And um, I just think that's such a cool touch to put on it. Yeah, and you get to see the actual rose. When the beast does come down to greet guests, it's really just something that is so immersive. You feel like you're in the movie. It's one of the better, I call it an attraction, because for all, it really is an attraction in spite of the fact that it's a restaurant, because there's so much going on here, you can't help to but feel like you're in a ride or an attraction itself. Yeah, and I like that they didn't just do the ballroom, that they got the West Wing in there too. And the library, for all intents and purposes. They do have that third room uh, that looks like the Beast Library. Having had breakfast here for the first time today, I will say, though, my preference is dinner. Um, You mentioned a few minutes ago that we've done dinner here a few times, and it's always one of the best meals that we have on property. We had breakfast this morning. $29 gets you pastries, gets you a beverage, and gets you your entree. 
But it doesn't get you character. That was kind of surprising to learn. The Beast didn't come out. Yeah, we thought for certain he'd be coming down. He didn't. Um, So if you're looking for a character dining experience and you're used to seeing him at dinner, you're not really going to get that for breakfast. Um, And I hate to say it because it's going to sound like a stigma, but when you think about quote-unquote theme park food, this is sort of what you have in mind. I mean, I get it. I think it was a smart idea to open it up for breakfast so that you can get more people through who can't necessarily get a dinner reservation, be it because they have younger children and they're not going to stay in the park that long or they didn't make their reservation 180 days out. Um, You know, it still gives you the opportunity to see it. Uh, They still serve you gray stuff, so you can get that with breakfast. You're not missing out on that. Um, But the food, because it is a... it's, It's... a quick service meal technically um, they're moving people through faster and they're making the food en masse instead of making individual plates so you do kind of sacrifice a little bit of the quality that you're getting for dinner going for breakfast it was the only picturesque day we had on the trip if we only knew then what we know now well we clearly enjoyed it while it lasted at least we finished our meal we headed back to the front of the park so many people start their day in Adventureland, but we always have and always will start ours in tomorrowland and i was interested to see if our opinion of that section of the park would have changed because as a lead into the trip we did review the tomorrowland film starring george clooney Right, that was our little joke that we were going to be standing in the land while our listeners would get to hear our review. Yes. Um, it, was, it was different because when we reviewed the film, we had been almost two years removed from having been in the parks. Um, you know, and you can definitely get a feel for what they pulled from Tomorrowland and put into the film. But it was completely different actually standing in Tomorrowland, being surrounded by that music and that futuristic architecture and just being fully immersed in the land that they put to film. So we're sitting in Tomorrowland, wanted to get off our feet. We are in the middle of a 16-hour Magic Kingdom day, which is as crazy as it sounds, mind you. And sort of just taking in the scenery here and drinking it all in, really, I have to say, sitting here after recently watching the film Tomorrowland, it's amazing to me how this land really was tailor-made for film. Yeah, I mean... Looking back on pictures and stuff before we did our review, you kind of get a feel for it, but it's totally different sitting here and actually seeing everything in person. And you can really feel where they pulled the influences from, like, you know, the people movers going by right now. And when I think back to the film, they did such a good idea of, like, capturing that hustle bustle of everyone being shuffled around. Yeah, and even, like, the benches, they're sleek, stainless steel... Uh, To our right is Space Mountain. Obviously, there's not a Space Mountain film, but it is such a prevalent structure in the movie. But specifically, what they've done here, and it was a little jarring for us at first walking in, having been purists of the park. Mm -hmm. They changed the Tomorrowland sign. Still not a fan. (laughs) This is day two in Magic Kingdom. Still not a fan. Put it back. But, but... Um, My purist says that, but from the standpoint of connecting it to the film... It's sleek, it's clean, it is a little bit more futuristic, not as 90s futuristic. They painted the rock silver. So I could see where they did an update to clean the park up, but it also does draw into what they did in the film. 
Which I guess I can appreciate because it's not like something like Pirates or Haunted Mansion that have been staples here for so long. I mean, which Tomorrowland is. And then they did the films. What I can appreciate that they did was they sort of cross-pollinated with the film a little bit. Which I think the difference being that you can do that to a land, you can't do that to a ride. I mean, yes, they retroactively put Johnny Depp into Pirates, but... I, I think I would blow a gasket if they changed anything on Haunted Mansion to fit the movie. Yeah, absolutely. We got off of uh, Carousel of Progress a few minutes ago, and uh, it's always great to hear Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. Uh, you heard it a few times throughout the Tomorrowland film. I actually didn't realize until we got uh, into the ride the second time on this trip that when they're in the Halloween scene, I believe it is, in Patty's room... It is the Halloween scene. In Patty's room, did you notice the Fantasia hat sitting in her bedroom? No, let's go see it again. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it, it, it draws in because it, it's the timeline. Fantasia was huge. Um, right, and, and you know, right, right, right. And it's timely for that section of Carousel of Progress. Wow, that went right over my head. I always look at the Christmas scene, you know, because obviously they plant Mickey in there and... Uh, it's just funny seeing it now because the video game was supposed to be so futuristic and like that's what we have now with you know and talking to the oven we have Alexa we have Siri all that kind of thing smart devices so it's really ahead of their time I think yeah but Uh, I do want to go on again at some point today and find that hat yeah but let's talk about the theming in some of the rides here that are specific to the films starting with the Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor obviously uh, we haven't done Monsters uh, Inc. yet um, or Monsters you we'll get to them eventually Um, But if you've seen the film, you know that by the end of the movie, they're no longer collecting scares. They're collecting laughs for energy. And that does carry through here on the the laugh floor. And I think that um, the building, once you're inside, looks like something you'd see in Monstropolis. And, of course, it's, it's so much fun to see those characters that you know and love so much. Yeah, I think they did such a great job of branding with that attraction because it's picking up right where the movie left off. It incorporates so many things that you recognize from the film, but it's also such a great interactive attraction. I I think it's really brilliant. They just did such a good job of pulling things from the movie that you would want to see, but also making it fun and bringing the audience into it and giving it, you know, that... That's why you come to the parks. You want that live interaction. Right, and it has an authentic feel, and for the most part, it's not going to be the same attraction every time you go in. No, because a different guy is going to buy everyone in the audience churros. Yes, but I don't think right now, in terms of things that are currently in this land, I don't think there's anything that is as on brand as Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin. Um, It's amazing when you sit there and you watch... Everything that they have going on in that ride, starting from the minute you enter the queue, the colors inside the queue are reflective of the colors that are on Buzz Lightyear as an action figure. That carries through all the way to the ride vehicles. But what I'm really, I've always uh, enjoyed about it, and it it sort of stands out now because we're looking at it through more of a critical eye when it comes to connecting to the film, is how they've themed everything so that in reality, it, a lot of it looks like 
stickers and packaging off of the box that Buzz Lightyear came in. Specifically those toys that you got when you were a kid where you had to put the decals on yourself. Yes. They're all over the wall. And you had pointed out when we walked in, similar to what they did in Toy Story Land over at Hollywood Studios, they sort of shrink you down to give you the perspective of being a toy because Buzz Lightyear, first off, the animatronic is great. Um, oh, it, it's one of the best. He was one of the first ones that they rolled out with that new sort of like face projection. Yeah. And it's amazing. It still gets me. It still gets me. It still holds up. But also the viewfinder shrunk down. So you are given that perspective of being a toy. And I like that this, it, it continues to build on the storyline that is Zerg. Because you don't really, you don't see Zerg at all really in the first film. You see him a little bit in the second film. Not a ton in the third, certainly. I don't think we really saw him hardly at all in the fourth. Again, just a little bit. So I like that there is a continuing story there. And I think that that kind of ties into what Walt Disney was all about when he was developing these, you know, the original Disneyland. Certainly what he wanted to do here was give you this fully immersive experience based on storytelling. Definitely. And I think what I can appreciate so much more now that there is a whole Toy Story land is that this was the first ride and they've just continued to build on the idea of shrinking you down and putting you in the perspective of a toy. Like you said with the viewfinder, it's bigger. Uh, they're putting you inside, you know, the the pods and you see the battery packs on the back. And Midway Mania built on that idea even further and now the whole land shrinks you down and puts you at the viewpoint of a toy. I'm intrigued to see what happens in the next year and a half to two years. See if that is still the most on-brand attraction in this section of the park, in this land specifically. Because we are watching right now as the cranes are constructing at the time of this recording the Tron uh, light cycle coaster. Jackie can't wait for it. Yeah. I'm so excited. So thrilled. <laughs> I wish I had not seen the construction because I'm. we've said it a million times on the show, not a roller coaster person, but I thought conceptually this was so cool. I was going to suck it up and do it. But now I've seen the inside, and I wish I hadn't. <laughs> Jackie is not a drops person, but I, I can't wait to see what they do here. The, they've already started advertising it all over the park. Um, they're not hiding the construction at all, because you really can't. I mean, they have some walls up, but you can only do so much. I mean, it's going to be a big attraction. I mean, even I have to admit, it looks so darn cool. I still might have to suck it up and do it. I want you to remember that you said that two years from now. And you have audio to back it up. Yes. There's no getting out of this. Tron is going to be a game changer in the Magic Kingdom. There is no doubt in my mind about this. Yeah, it's pretty cool to see it all coming together. Um, you get a really good view of it from the people mover, um, but actually you get a better view. You wouldn't think so, but if you go around to Storybook Circus, um, if you stand off to the side of Barnstormer, you really get a good look at it. Yeah, that's where we went next in the park, and, well, you're going to hear our review about it in just a moment. But I will say that I think my opinion of it changed after recently seeing both iterations of Dumbo. Right, because we hadn't done the new Dumbo. Um, we had done the classic one, uh, but since they moved everything over, we hadn't gone back for it, which we did. We we righted the wrong on this trip. Um, but it's definitely something, because it is a younger kid area of the park. It's someplace that we really haven't spent a lot of time other than very Merry Christmas party. 
Um, so it was nice to actually sit there for a while and kind of take it all in. So the last time we were sitting in Storybook Circus, admittedly, it had been a long time since we had seen Dumbo. But after having seen both the live action and the animated one and recently reviewing the animated one on the show, I have to say, in spite of the fact that it is a land that is geared more towards the little ones, I think they did a, a fantastic job. I, I think it's on brand. And I think it's more immersive than most people give it credit for. Yeah, because before we had done our recent viewing of Dumbo, I was kind of like, okay, there's one classic attraction, great, and now we have two. And I thought it was kind of a reach to build an entire land around that, but it actually really works. And sitting here now, I feel like this is really on brand for the live action even more because you really get that feel for the heyday of the circus when it was a traveling circus and everyone was so excited for it to come to town and I love that they have the random train cars everywhere I think that's probably one of my favorite parts about this little world that they created here yeah, multiple circus tents, multiple train cars. I love how that some of the train cars are numbered as 71 as a tribute to the year that Walt Disney World first opened its doors. And I love that when you walk in, you get the smell of hot dogs and cotton candy and popcorn and roasted nuts, things that you associate with having gone to the circus. And even down to the candy-striped trash cans that they have around the land. I think that it's... I said it before, it's as good an immersive land as they make them. It's great for kids, but I actually do really appreciate it as an adult. If there's one thing that it's missing right now, it's Casey Jr. I used to love listening to Casey Jr.'s whistle, and and when he comes through here, it's spectacular. It's down right now because they had to cut a piece of the track out as they're putting up the new Tron attraction. But once once he gets back in here, I think that this really is going to be a land you want to be in. So funnily enough, we did actually get to spend more time in Storybook Circus thanks to Pluto. Yeah, he almost interrupted the recording. We had been sitting there and uh, Pluto came out with his friend. Uh, one of the wonderful Walt Disney World cast members, and they had seen us, and I don't think that he knew that we were recording, but he made his way over to us right as we had wrapped up. So Pluto almost had a cameo on uh, Monoreal Radio, which would have been very entertaining, of course. Um, But we got through that, and then we moved on to what I will always call New Fantasyland, because to me it will always be New Fantasyland. Um, it's not the one that we grew up in, so by default it would be the new one. I agree with that. Yeah, it's it's new to us. It's always going to feel new. Oh, there he is. Sitting outside of Gaston's Tavern, as Gaston actually walks by right now. Farewell, Gaston. <laughs> We're here at the tavern, sipping on a LeFou's brew. We talk about something being on brand. And again, Beauty and the Beast knocking it out of the park here with Gaston's Tavern. They've got the taxidermy on the wall. I love that there are deer antlers that make up the chandeliers. Really, really knocking this one out of the park. A fun place to spend an afternoon. And the chair. They have Gaston's obnoxious chair. It's amazing. Yeah, that only he could fit in clearly. (laughs) Only his shoulders could fit on that chair. I absolutely love it. You know, it's really interesting that they chose to go with a villain and do a whole little area based on someone who is technically a villain. But 
I think it was actually a really great choice because before they redid Fantasyland, the only representation that Beauty and the Beast really had was the show at MGM. And other than that, you see Belle and the Beast in some parades, and that was it. So to me, if you're going to do another quick-serve restaurant, this was brilliant. I mean, the tavern writes itself, so you get a really fun scene from Beauty and the Beast that you get to interact with. And the food's brew is great. Yeah, and, and and the cinnamon bun is really good, too. That's a meal within itself. It, it is, yeah. Had we not had breakfast at Be Our Guest this morning, I probably would have got the cinnamon bun, but we've had it before on previous trips. Yeah, it's a steal at five ninety nine. Moving next door to uh, Under the Sea, Journey into the Little Mermaid. Um, it's a Disney dark ride. It's just a classic Disney dark ride, but what stands out to me is how they took the entire film and they condensed it but I don't feel that I'm missing much, and I don't know if that speaks volumes about Little Mermaid, which we love, by the way. We reviewed it on episode one. The only thing that I don't love about it is that they kind of assume that you've seen the movie because it doesn't really tell you a story. It shows you scenes, whereas I feel like almost every other ride gives you a story. But what I love so much about it, and I mean... As you just said, Little Mermaid is my fave. If you listen to the show, that's not a secret. Um, I'm happy to see more representation in the parks other than just Ariel's Grotto. And again, there's the show at Hollywood Studios, which that and Beauty and the Beast have been there since, like, we were kids in the 90s. Um, So especially that they have more representations in Magic Kingdom. Like, God only knows how long we're going to have them there for. But um, as a big fan... I love being able to go up and see Eric's castle, and I think that's probably my favorite part of the ride is actually the queue, because they did such a great job getting it exact. Yeah, and you almost get like a Poseidon feel to it. You're almost uh, like in the lost city of Atlantis. I, th- I agree with you. I think the, the queue is where it is the most spot on in terms of its branding because otherwise the characters are the characters you know that's what you're going to get and the animatronics are great but the theming you almost don't mind if you have to wait online getting into that attraction yeah they really nailed like the sea shanty theme just across the way here you have uh, the Seven Dwarves Mine Train that took the place of the uh, Snow White Scary Adventure Dark Ride which is a scary adventure we did it again last year at Disneyland (laughs) and it's scary but this ride is one of the most impressive ones in the park I know you're giving me the side eye right now no actually as someone who's not a coaster person it's pretty fantastic I mean I remember the first time we went on it and you know, it takes you through the outside, and then you go in through the mine, and the animatronics are so impressive. But then you start the climb, and you hear the hi-ho. And I was really, really nervous, but it's actually not that bad. Like, it's a thrill ride, but it's still great for kids and adults who are big babies. No, it is not a thrill ride that is good for kids. It is a children's ride. <laughs> But what I love about it is, for some people that are um, a little nervous with the herky-jerkiness of a roller coaster, this sort of takes it out of it, other than the fact that it's a newer coaster, so it is smoother to begin with. Because the... because the mine train that you're sitting in swings side to side... it barrel roll takes the edge off. It does. But the mine itself, you talked about it before, 
you feel. Again, you want to talk about that immersiveness, which is really the point of a lot of what they do here at Disney, specifically here at the Magic Kingdom. A fully immersive experience. You feel as if you are actually in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yeah, those diamonds are shining. Probably my favorite part, though, I love that they end with the dancing scene where uh, the dwarves are playing music and Snow White is dancing with Dopey. Um, That was always my favorite scene on the dark ride. It's probably my favorite scene in the film, and I love that even though it has nothing to do with the coaster itself, they still give you that scene as the, you know, that punctuation on the end of a great ride. Moving over to uh, Winnie the Pooh. Again, it's it's a dark ride. It's your kind of typical Disney dark ride. It's fun, though. Um, you are thrown into the blustery day, the heffalumps and woozles. Um, it is really meant for the children, but I think the theming is there with the honey pots. I do like that you bounce with Tigger a little bit. Um, it's a fun one. For us, it's not something I'm going to do necessarily every trip. It's not something I'm going to wait online for. But in terms of theming, I think that they do capture the most important scenes in that film, certainly the most iconic ones. Yeah, I like that it wasn't just putting you in a honey pot because it's something that you're familiar with seeing Pooh eat. It really does pull from the story because when you think about, like you said, the blustery day when everything floods out, they're in the honey pots when everything is raining and they're floating down the river. So I think it was really smart that they mimicked the motion of, you know, floating through. And then, like you said, with Tigger, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely another great nod to not just the film, but to the, to the stories that inspired it. One of the most popular attractions here in the park is the Peter Pan's flight. And I've got to be honest with everybody. We don't know why. We, we don't get it. <laughs> it's, it's not that it's bad. It's just that it's sort of, for us, it's kind of basic. But there's always a 75 and 80 minute wait for it. I mean, is, is flying over the model of London that important to people? I mean, really? I know it's a classic. It's definitely a cool dark ride. The swinging ship is cool. I hadn't been on it for a while, so to do a revisit, I was like, all right, this is fun. But, like, 80 minutes. And, and burning a fast pass otherwise, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. With that being said, though, in terms of it being spot on and it being close in terms of representing the film, it is the film. It's the film sort of come to life. I mean, the animatronics are not nearly as impressive as something that you see maybe under the sea, but if we're looking at it from a branding perspective, it's spot on. I think it certainly tells the story of Peter Pan better than Under the Sea tells the story of The Little Mermaid. And for the entirety of that trip, that line was no less than 80 minutes. And I sit here many days after we have returned home, and I've been trying to get it And I still don't get it, so I don't think I'm ever going to get it. Even at Very Merry, there was a huge line for it. It was crazy. Usually those after-hours parties are where you can jump on rides multiple times. Not Peter Pan's flight. I mean, we burned the fast pass for it. We've said it on the show before. It's not our favorite ride. We have tried to understand. We did it again this trip. Please help us understand, listeners. Yeah. Let, let us know what the big deal is over this ride. Yeah, on social media, you can do that on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us, uh, monorealradio at gmail.com. 
Moving on, we made our way through Liberty Square into Adventureland and Frontierland, and we knocked out the rest of those e-ticket attractions like Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean. The best rides are on that side of the park. Let's talk about Haunted Mansion for a minute, because we haven't discussed Haunted Mansion enough in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, really, as if we didn't beat it to death in our review already. Well, let me tell you something. It's such a shame. We said it when we reviewed the movie. That attraction, the story that it tells, the characters that they do introduce in the ride, tailor-made for a film, they swung and they missed... And it really does need a remake. It needs a reboot badly. Yeah, and now after having just been on it and seeing all of those practical effects and the way the ghosts come to life, it just makes the movie even more egregious for me. Yeah, talking about things that are getting rebooted, whether we think they need them or not, Pirates of the Caribbean. We're sitting in the Tortuga Tavern right now, and they've done a lot of work here in the last few years. They've really beautified it here. But what I found interesting is they're still adding subtle touches in spite of the fact that the rumor is Captain Jack Sparrow is out. Like, for example, you noticed the Jack Sparrow compass with a treasure map in front of the tavern that we've never seen before. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe it was just something that I missed, but this was the first time I noticed it. And the, that's the thing. The compass is so specific to Jack. Um, so it might be something, maybe they changed it up for the Pirates League a little bit and they added it. Um, but it definitely looks like it's part of like a scavenger hunt or something. I'm not exactly sure what they do with the Pirates League. I know they, you know, they do the face paint and things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what it's for, but it, it was cool looking. Yeah, and you want to talk about, we, we talked about Haunted Mansion just now, talking about a film that was based off of an iconic ride, but took the characters that were in the ride, added to them, and now the ride gets retrofitted with Captain Jack Sparrow. But they don't change the ride a ton, so the purists are happy. But the people that come here to see Captain Jack Sparrow because maybe their introduction to the Pirates of the Caribbean was the Curse of the Black Pearl rather than the ride. I think this does a nice job of towing the line for both sides. Absolutely. That's one of the things that I like so much. We had discussed it in our Tomorrowland review that they took things that you recognize and built a really great story around it and that's what they did with the Pirates movie which we've not reviewed for the show yet but uh, you know obviously we're going to circle around to it soon. Pirates was always my favorite ride so when they did the film and they cast my favorite actor in it I was like over the moon and I like that because it was so popular and because of what Johnny Depp did for the character that they did actually listen to the fan. This is I feel like when Disney really did start listening to to the fans and you know they did retrofit him into the ride but it still works and they did it in a way that didn't have to change everything that we know and love about the ride speaking of changes to the ride <laughs> we want the redhead no we don't we want the auction back yeah I mean this I, I don't want to say it doesn't make sense it's passable but First of all, the, the people that are at the auction, they look way too new. These pirates are burning the town to the ground, and these people are selling their antiques, and their hair is perfectly coiffed, and it's white. They should be covered in ash. They should look almost like a pirate. It's like as, as Elizabeth Swan in the movie slowly assimilates 
into the ship, she gets dirtier, and then her wardrobe changes. Like, you got to rough them up a little bit. They look way too new. Yeah, and if you believe all things you read on the internet and everything you read there is true, it sounds like Red is going to be the new lead in the reboot of Pirates of the Caribbean. So, technically speaking, it's very much on brand. Something that I'm uh, interested to see whether it stays on brand or not, and in the early trailers at least, it appears that it will be, is The Jungle Cruise. We got off of that a little while ago. We know that they're making that film. We've seen the trailer. I'm getting the feeling that Dwayne Johnson is setting up like a rigged Jungle Cruise to rob people of their money in a very funny way. But what I love, and again, you want to talk about being on brand and catering to the purists, he has the backside of water jokes. He's got a lot of the dad jokes and the puns from the Jungle Cruise. So I'm really excited to see where this one goes. Yeah, I mean, I definitely trust The Rock to uphold the Disney standard because he's done it time and time again. He really, really cares about the company. Um, but I'm hoping that that's what they do. Like, that that's what they did when they swung and missed with Haunted Mansion. They tried to jam everything that you'd want to see from the ride into that film. If they jam some of these lines from Jungle Cruise in, I don't think it's going to feel forced. Right. I think you can do the puns. You can do the. You can bring that hokiness to the film, and it's not going to feel like they went too far with it. I also think there's more of a story that you can tell with Jungle Cruise because it's not just the ride. Now you have the Skipper Cantina, you have Trader Sam's, and these are things that you have both on East Coast and West Coast parks. So it's something that's familiar to everybody, and I feel like you can build a bigger universe there. Skipper Cantina is one of my favorite additions to the park. Um, We've eaten there a couple of times on this trip and the last, and the food is always excellent. It's consistent, but the look of that restaurant is so on point. They have, you know, Dr. Albert Falls' office um, and and so many artifacts. And, uh, you know, it kind of does have that Trader Sam's feel, just a little bit cleaner. But I, I love it. It's one of my favorite places. If you haven't been yet, definitely check it out. What I loved most about recording in the Tortuga Tavern was that we were the first ones there for the free pretzels at the Very Merry Christmas Party. And... I am a sucker for a warm pretzel. Yeah, I think I lost count of how many pretzels you had on this trip. You and, had the Bavarian pretzel in Germany. Multiple times, and I'm not afraid to admit that. Yeah, both days we were in Epcot, and then we went to uh, Jock Lindy's... Uh, the hangar bar. The hangar bar. And I had a couple of everything pretzels there. I love Jacques Lindsay's. I truly do. You want to talk about something being on brand similar to that uh, Skipper Cantina that you were talking about. But I want to talk about the Very Merry Christmas Party for a minute. We've done it a couple of times now, and I really do believe for the $100 a head that it costs that it's absolutely worth it. You get the extra six hours in the park. You get the cookies. You get the hot chocolate. You get the uh, hot apple cider. But for a lot of people, it's really about meeting those rare characters. Yeah, you get all seven dwarfs, which they don't usually come out all together um, at any other time of year. Um, but you also get the rare characters in the parade. Uh, you get the extra parade and the fireworks as well. Um, it's so worth it. It's, it's just such an amazing experience, and it really puts you in the holiday spirit. So the next day, we were out to Disney's... No, I'm not going to call it Hollywood Studio. We went to MGM Studio the next day, and we started our day with Toy Story Land. And I was 
I was excited. I was I was cautiously optimistic because we had never seen it before. We hadn't been there since it opened. And I don't think I ever really said this on the show, but I personally was not overly impressed with a lot of the pictures that I had seen online leading into the opening of that section of the park. Same. I also think it was a different story because we did Disneyland last year and having seen Cars Land first, I think that completely spoiled us. Speaking about Toy Story Land at Disney's Hollywood Studios, having seen it twice now, I will say that it's a land that for me personally, before we get to it being on brand or not, I prefer this land at night. And I think for a lot of people, that might be the way to do it. Because if you look at it during the day, it kind of comes off as being something that looks like something you'd see at a value resort. Which isn't a bad thing, but you can see it at a value resort. Right. It's a lot of the big fiberglass figurines. Because here's the thing. It's supposed to... It's it's supposed to be a land built with toys. You're in Andy's backyard. The theming is great, but part of the problem with them leaning on the toy motif so much is that it looks cheaper than it really is. But at night, the way that it's lit up, I actually think that it's far more photogenic and far more appealing as far as the aesthetics go in the evening. Here's the thing. I don't think there's too much more you can do with it as far as, you know, making it look like one of the value resorts because that it is what it is. If you're going with the fiberglass figures and if they're, we're talking about in terms of keeping with the theme, we hit on it a little bit when we were at Magic Kingdom that on Buzz Lightyear, they put you down to the size of a toy. That's what Toy Story does in the films and they give you the toy's perspective and now they're bringing that to the parks, which is great. Um, you know, it certainly satisfies my, uh, my Jones in for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, because I miss that section of the park. Um, so it's cool being put on that level. But in order to achieve that, I don't think that there's anything else I could have done. Right. So with that being said, it is totally on brand. In fact, it's one of the more on-brand areas that you'll see, not just in Hollywood Studios, but in Walt Disney World in totality, because as you just said, it does bring you down to the size of a toy. And if you're a kid, having grown up watching the movies, and if you're a child now, it's got to be mind-blowing. Yeah, and I'm glad that Toy Story really got its due. I mean, I would love to see a whole Pixar land eventually, but I love Midway Mania. I think that that was such a clever way to represent the ride, and it's so much fun. Like, who doesn't love going on there and scoring points, and, you know, it gets competitive, so that's great. But I like that, you know, we have Toy Story's Exponential now. Right, and uh, the Slinky Dog Dash was a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad to see that Slinky got his own attraction because Slinky, I think, doesn't get his respect (laughs) that he should because I feel like he's a more integral part of the Toy Story universe than most people recognize him for. Absolutely. I mean, prior to Bullseye, that's Woody's right-hand man. Um, especially if you think to the first one when they're in the moving van and Slinky jumps out of the truck to, to grab RC. Um, he's, he's definitely a big part of the universe. Um, and I think what they did here was really 
clever um, because it, it does kind of give you that feel like when he's stretched out of the truck and, and you get to ride him. Yeah, and I definitely buy the fact that this was something that Andy created in his mind, that it is something that you would find in Andy's backyard. He gave his toys a place to go play and hang out. Right. I also, um, I really like the, the alien ride. Um, alien swirling saucer. Yes. Um, we got to go to Disneyland last year, so Mater's Junkyard Jamboree was one of our favorites. Uh, it is the exact same track. It's the same concept, uh, you know, where it's kind of like a uh, like a sizzler kind of ride. Almost like it's, a tilter world. Exactly, but it passes you back and forth between the tracks, and I think that's really cool. The only thing I will say, Mater has a leg up because I think it's a bigger ride, so you get more of a spin. This didn't spin you quite as much. No, this definitely felt, it felt more condensed than uh, Mater's Junkyard Jamboree, but one way or the other, in terms of it being a part of the Toy Story universe and making you feel like you're a part of the film, I think it's as spot on as they make it. Absolutely. Like, if they were going to recreate that ride for Florida and just take the same concept from California, Aliens was the way to go because you have the claw. They're putting you in that machine. Had they picked another character, like, if they had done, like, a Jesse's Critter Roundup or something like that, I don't think it would be quite the same. Spoiler alert. Anything pales in comparison as soon as you enter Batu, which is the next section of the studios that we went to after we left Toy Story Land, because there is actually a back entrance to Batu that you can enter as you leave Toy Story Land through uh, Alien Swirling Saucer. You go past there, and there's a little walkway, but I would suggest walking back through Toy Story Land. It's not overly big anyway. And go through the tunnel that leads into Batu because the reveal is absolutely stunning. Yeah, the tunnel is where Streets of America used to be. And if you walk through there, it completely transports you into Galaxy's Edge. You are fully immersed in Batu, and it's amazing. For the longest time, it was hard to believe that Disney was ever going to top Pandora, the world of Avatar. But there's no doubt in my mind that when you enter the planet of Batu, you enter the Star Wars universe. Yeah, they did such an amazing job. I hate to say it, even going through Pandora, it it was kind of lackluster in comparison. Like, it's still beautiful, everything still glows at night, but it's nothing compared to being in Batu. Especially my favorite time of day to be here was at dusk. It was so pretty. Usually I like doing Indiana Jones while the sun is setting, like the 5 o'clock show. It was so pretty being here as the sun was going down. It was Everything glowed. It was gorgeous. The detail in Olga's cantina is exactly as you hope it is, whether you saw the original Star Wars in 1977 or whether you saw it later on in life, but we all wanted to sit in that cantina. We all wanted to hear that music and to be able to do it uh, again. This this is the most immersive park, I think, that they own right now, and it is without question the most on brand. And seriously, bravo to the cast. The, I mean, the Disney cast is always fantastic, but this the Star Wars cast in particular everything is so on point everyone is so into character and you can tell that they are truly happy to be here Savi's was amazing you go in and you make your lightsaber again if you've ever wanted to be a Jedi if you've ever dreamed of that moment it, it, it's sort of like a mind body and spirit thing you didn't even build one and even you got the feel no it was 
pretty cool. I got I got a couple of goosebumps just watching you put it together and the the way that they did it was like ceremonial almost. They did such an amazing job. You want to talk about getting goosebumps. I may or may not have gotten choked up when I finally sat <laughs> in the pilot seat of the Millennium Falcon when we did Smuggler's Run. And we were able to do all three roles over the course of the couple of days that we were here. Pilot, of course, is the best. I got to actually be on Solo for the first time in my life. But, uh, again, immersive, and it is an Imagineering achievement. I personally cannot wait to see what they do with Rise of the Resistance because apparently that's supposed to be better, and I don't know how it's possible. Yeah, what whatever you're expecting for Millennium Falcon, I think it's going to blow everyone's expectations away. It is like Star Tours on crack. Just having that additional screen in the dome above your head so you really get that feeling of lifting up as the Falcon rises, it's, it's just incredible. Um, and they really do, I don't think a lot of people realize that how you react to what is going on actually does determine what's going on on the screen and how well you perform. Um, so you really do have to work as a team with the people in your, in your group, whether you know them or not. And being able to walk around and see stormtroopers and Kylo Ren and Rey and Chewbacca, and they're just walking around. It's not a meet-and-greet opportunity. That's not what they're going to do here. But it's nobody really chasing them with a camera. But it is... I'm not going to say it's the first time because a lot of the lands here really are immersive. We talked about the Be Our Guest restaurant, but really, I felt like I was in the Star Wars universe the minute I set foot on Batu. Admittedly, I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan But I think after having been to Galaxy's Edge, that's all going to change because this world is amazing. Yeah, we we left Galaxy's Edge and we did something that is a tradition of ours. We have certain things that are our must-dos, as Stacy would call them. They're our must-do Disneys. Um, One of them is Walt Disney's uh, One Man's Dream. Um, Go pay your respects. You got to go pay your respects to him. And... I love the fact that they do call it a museum. We were not allowed to go in with our Joffrey's coffees. Or cookie num-nums. Or our cookie num-nums, which are better in Disneyland. They're good here, but they're better in Disneyland. Um, I thought that it was an interesting terminology because Walt Disney had said that he was always nervous that his parks would turn into a museum. And he didn't want that to be the case. So to have a museum specific to him, I thought, was some creative juxtaposition. That's a really great point. But you know what? There are so many of his artifacts in there. You know, I I get it. I wouldn't want something spilled on them by accident. No trip to the MGM Studios, or as some of you call it, the Hollywood Studios, because we've said on the show before. it will always be MGM, is complete without a trip through Walt Disney One Man's Dream to pay homage and tribute to the man himself. And what was interesting about this one is there's sometimes a film about Marceline, Missouri. Sometimes, though, you get a sneak preview of the newest Disney film. And what better time to get a sneak preview of a film than to see a 10-minute preview of Frozen 2, which is opening in... A little bit. Oh, it's less than a week now. Yeah, and we just couldn't wait. Um, they actually gave us a pretty good chunk of it. Um, I think 
it was a couple of, they, they say it's a scene, but I think it's a couple of bits and pieces put together. I don't think what we saw was one sequence straight through. Uh, but we get a little bit more plot, and we got a, a song. We got a song, and I have the feeling that we're going to find out that Elsa has a secret that she's known about for a long time. And it's going to come out that she's known about it for a while. That's my guess. I'm excited that we're going to, it seems like we're getting an answer. You know, they say, was she born with the powers or was she cursed? We're going to see where they come from. We're going to have the answer to those questions on Thursday because we were lucky enough to snag our tickets to an advanced screening of Frozen 2. And as we get closer and closer to Thursday, after hearing this audio again, because I haven't heard it since we were in Florida... I'm getting more and more excited to see a sequel that, to be honest with you, I wasn't all that excited to see because I didn't think the trailers had looked any good. So I'm looking back on it now. I'm really happy we decided to stay for that 10-minute preview. Definitely. And we're going to have a monoreal in a minute for you on Thursday when we see it. We ended our trip in Epcot Center. Um, and it's not a land that had originally been built with characters in mind, but they are there now. And I don't necessarily feel that it takes away from the park having the characters there. I think he needed it. I think that, um, you know, where they put them, they made some really smart choices. I think he needed to do something for the kids in that park because I remember when I was a kid, I was kind of weird. I liked Epcot, but I remember everybody else found in my age group found it boring. And I think that's because there were not a lot of character meets. So I'm glad that they've addressed that. I just hope they don't go too far overboard with all the new renovations coming to Epcot. Recapping our day here in Epcot Center as we sit outside the Rose and Crown. We just saw Epcot Forever. We're getting rained on, which has been par for the course. It's rained on us basically every day, although I don't mind it because it has cooled the weather down a little bit. Yeah, at least today was relatively warm. The past couple of times we've been rained on, it was freezing. Yeah, let's talk about... Uh, Finding Nemo, the under the seas, uh, the seas with Nemo and friends. That's what it's called. Because to me, it's always been the living seas. Um, is it on brand? It's fish in a tank. <laughs> it's water. <laughs> I don't know how much more on brand it can be. No, when I first went on it um, a couple of trips ago, I remember being disappointed because you used to get a lot more viewings of the actual aquarium tank. So I feel like they took some of those away just for the sake of the ride. Um, so that was kind of upsetting. But as far as being, um, you know, a fit for the film, I think it's really clever that they retrofitted into an existing ride. Um, the clamshell, okay, obvious. Um, but I think it's cool how they have the projections and, uh, you know, everything is on the screen within the tanks. It, it definitely looks cool. Um, and I think it's great that they brought something else in for kids to try and draw them into Epcot Center. We know that that was a big thing with Eisner years ago as he wanted to introduce more characters into the park. So it definitely fits and it makes sense. But without question, the best ride in the park in terms of being geared towards a film is the Frozen ride over here in Norway. 
Yeah, I was hesitant when they opened it. I mean, I'm a huge Frozen fan, that's no secret. So I was happy to see that it was getting a ride. And um, I appreciate that they put it in Norway as opposed to just throwing another princess film into Magic Kingdom. Um, but I wasn't sure exactly what to expect from it because it's the Norway ride and I kind of missed the trolls and I didn't want to see them go. But for as quick a turnaround as they did with it, I don't feel like they just threw it together. I mean, granted, they didn't change the track or anything. It totally works on the track that was existing. It works, and the amazing thing is we had always said that that ride broke down so frequently uh, frequently when it was the original Norway ride with the trolls, and we're like, just give it a refurb, give it a refurb. And, I mean, yeah, it's basically the exact same track, but... The way that they've done it is really smart. I love the queue for this ride. You're walking in, you see Wandering Oakens. Again, we've been talking for the last few days that we've been doing these recordings about these fully immersive experiences that really put you in the film. This one does it very well. Yeah, I like that Wandering Oaken is also the narrator uh, getting on and off the boats and telling you to watch your children. I think that was cute. Um, the animatronics on this ride are absolutely incredible, starting with Olaf. I like that they didn't make him that fiberglassy look, and instead they went for like a poofy kind of snowman. Yeah, the projections, especially in the castle scene, are fantastic. I think my question at this point is, you have the new Frozen coming out um, in just a few days. Do they have to retrofit anything for Frozen 2? It's obviously not a question we can answer today, but I wonder if they're going to have to do it. And if they do, what kind of downtime you're looking at to get that retrofitted? I don't think they will because there are a ton of films that have had sequels that they have. Like, look at... The Seas, you know, it's Finding Nemo. They didn't have to add more Dory just because Dory got a sequel. Um, I, I think that because you have Anna, Elsa, Olaf, etc. represented, I don't think that they're going to necessarily touch it. I want to talk about Epcot Forever just for a moment. That is the new fireworks show at Epcot Center that has replaced Illuminations and... It's a temporary show. It's only going to last for about a year before they debut Harmonious. It was funny that we talked about having characters brought into the parks because we actually did get to see a preview of all that is coming to Epcot Center. And part of the changes that they're making with the fireworks and with Harmonious specifically is that they're going to they're going to include far more characters and far more IPs than they ever had in a nighttime spectacular at Epcot. But I'll be honest with you, as happy as I am that they've incorporated more characters, this is something where I'm not really on board with it right now. Of course, my opinion could change as soon as I see it because I hear it's supposed to be phenomenal. But to me, I love the throwback that is Epcot Forever. I love the nostalgia that is Epcot Forever. If I'm going to go see a fireworks display with characters in it, I feel like, mm, I'll go to Magic Kingdom, I'll go to Studios. That's what I kind of liked about Epcot, even though the characters are there now, that the fireworks were always unique to Epcot. Right, and especially, I don't know that I'll ever be able to appreciate anything so much as Epcot Forever, because it incorporates all of the throwbacks to the old pavilions and it incorporates Disney's audio. And, you know, 
he was working on Epcot when he passed. So this was such an amazing tribute because this was what he never got to see. And it pays so much respect to him. I feel like that's what they should be focused on rather than more characters, which you can see in the three other parks. Because even Animal Kingdom too, they do the projection show on the Tree of Life. And, you know, you do get your fair share of like Jungle Book and Lion King there. Um, So I feel like... Epcot has never been the character park and it's great that they started incorporating them, but I I think you're good. I don't know that you need more of it. Right. Because you mentioned before Walt Disney passed away before he got to, well, he didn't get to see any of the Florida park finished, but at least they had broken ground. It was still the Florida project at that point to him. At least they had started work on the Magic Kingdom. He didn't get to see anything in Epcot. and Really, that was supposed to be his baby. That was the centerpiece exactly, of the whole thing. Exactly. So yeah, you do get the lump in your throat when you hear his voice come over the loudspeakers and to hear that old music. I just, I loved it and I, I wish it would stick around longer than it's going to. Veggie fruit fruit. Veggie fruit fruit indeed. We had plenty of fruit fruit in our cocktails on the monorail <laughs> pub crawl. Um... That was a lot of fun. We had some great interactions with some people. We we picked up some people along the way, which is sort of what happens when you're on the monorail pub crawl. But we want to give a big shout out to Andrew from Celebration. He was there with his family. We met them at the Grand Floridian at the Enchanted Rose. And uh, he was the winner of our monorail with monorail t-shirt, our Monoritaville shirts. Um He's a big supporter of the monorail in general. He actually lives in Celebration, and he coordinates a Christmas trip to do a monorail pub crawl, and it's always around the holidays. Last year, they did an ugly sweater thing, but he actually gets Disney to send a Magical Express bus and bus people over to do this pub crawl because he said there's like 50, 60 people that join him. That's impressive. And they were just the nicest people. We were so happy that we met them. And I think suffice to say, we'll probably do a sequel to Monorail with Monorail the next time we do a trip down to the parks. Well, I'll be doing the Monorail bar crawl no matter what. So if anyone wants to join me, that's totally fine. Yeah, we'll just throw the shirts on and be good to go. Very excited. Just like we're excited to introduce a new segment to... (laughs) monoreal radio yes we like to call this one parenting wins and fails at ohana yeah um so we almost had a segment called the midnight airing of the grievances but it would have been too many clips of us complaining for too many nights now look we're not going to gloss over the fact and i hate to sound like these people that hate the uh childless childless millennials I hate yeah we don't want to sound like the childless millennials but we might a little bit obviously we're vocal in regards to the fact that we don't do disney with children we go by ourselves we do more ador- adult oriented things like the monorail pub crawl when we go to disney but with all that being said you know going into it it's 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 a hazard there's going to be a lot of kids. I don't mind running into a lot of kids. In fact, I like to see the families there. I like to see the kids interacting with the characters because it reminds me of when I was a kid and I used to go. Well, of course. I mean, we don't have kids, but it's about the kids. It's not about us. Exactly. But with that being said, 
if you are one of these parents that goes, well, there's a thousand kids running around losing their minds. Mine's just another one that's doing it. I just want to let you know right now, more times than not, if you turn around and look in any direction, there are not a thousand kids running around. It's usually just yours. Yeah, you're you're at Disney World, not a babysitting service. It's not fair to the other guests, and it's not fair to the cast members. Because sometimes the cast members get put in an awkward position. Like the cast member that led us to our table when we had our Ohana dinner reservation. We checked in. Got our bread service. She brings us over to our table. We had the corner table. For those of you who are familiar with Ohana, the bar, the Tambu Lounge would be to your right. You check in and they lead you over to where they get your bread. You hook a right-hand turn. You start heading towards the windows that overlook the beach and um, the Magic Kingdom. You can make a left and continue down to the end of the restaurant. On that corner, we had that corner table. Part booth, part chair. All jungle gym. All jungle gym, apparently. Uh, We're not going to say the kid's name because we fear that maybe the parents are listeners of the show. We don't want to lose you or upset you. But there was a child, and he was not young. He was... Five? No, I think he was older than that. I think he had to be maybe six or seven years old. All right, so that, that range, five to seven, that's fair. I'll meet you in the middle, five to seven. And the kid is literally climbing the wall the torch there that, is a the torch decor that the and he is was using that to climb the wall it was like watching spider-man i didn't know whether to be impressed or to be angry <laughs> and the cast member bless her soul very nicely said to the parents who were sitting there watching their kid do this. Now, I'm going to jump in here and say, I would never have had the guts to act that way in a restaurant as a kid. No, because we wouldn't have eaten there. No, It would have been like, we're going back to the hotel and you're going to be lucky if you get food tonight. Yep. My parents would have yanked me out of there, amongst other things. Yep. And the cast member turns to the parents and goes, "Um, excuse me, but um, I really need to seat somebody at this table. When you could tell what she wanted to say was, get your animal child off the wall in the restaurant. And the parents did the fake scolding thing. Oh, no, don't do that. Get down from here. The child really wasn't even disciplined. It was more of a like a, see, you got caught. Please do not allow your children to climb on furniture and climb up walls in restaurants, whether you're at Disney or otherwise. It's just not fair to the people around you. No, and this is coming from somebody who worked at a Chuck E. Cheese for four years, okay? We had things that were made specifically for climbing, so I can't say I've never seen a child climb something in a restaurant before because I have. But even then, I never witnessed anything quite like this. And then a couple of days later, we go back to Ohana to do Ohana breakfast, which was a first for us. I will say, Ohana breakfast was good. The character interaction was excellent. 
but I prefer Ohana dinner over Ohana breakfast. Food-wise, yes, dinner is the better of the two. Yes, but this was just a nice experience. And then you had a parenting win at Ohana. I still don't know if I'm ready to handle this. Your back was turned to them. Mine was not. We were actually sitting in almost the same spot when we went back for breakfast. We're sitting at a table, and Lilo and Stitch are there with Hawaiian Mickey. He's got his Tommy Bahama shirt on, looking fly. He and I share that in common. And oh, God. they go around, and they do their little meet and greet. So there's a table in the corner. There's six people sitting there. Two children, ranging in age, I'd say from four to seven, I think was the range of those two kids. And then the other one was an infant. Like a, yeah, a toddler. Yeah. Less than two years old, sitting in a high chair. So Lilo comes over and the other kids are having a blast. They're giggling, they're waving, they're smiling. The infant turns and sees Lilo and starts to scream as if they are watching the apocalypse collapse <laughs> around them. And... Lilo starts backing away from the table. The parent, who gets parent of the year in my book, <laughs> did not want the experience to be ruined for the other kids. And quite frankly, maybe she was on day five or six of her trip and was just done. This was not her first time at the rodeo. Does something I've never seen before. And there are going to be people that are going to go, it's not funny. It's not funny. I thought it was funny. You think it's funny. She takes the kid's blanket and says, nope, out loud, and throws it over the kid's head <laughs> so that the kid can no longer see the character while the other two get autographs and pictures. It's brilliant. For the win. Like Sean said, my back was turned so I didn't see this, but he's telling me everything that's happening and I am crying. Literally. I must have looked crazy. You did. And I told you <laughs> you looked insane because you were laughing so hard that you were crying. Mascara was running down your face. No, and I couldn't stop laughing because can you imagine being the child? Something horrific is coming at you and all of a sudden, woof. Darkness. <laughs> but it's it's brilliant. You don't You don't see it, so you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. So whoever you were, ma'am, we tip our caps to you. More like raise our drinks. And we raise we our drinks. childless millennials. And I saw plenty of those shirts, and, they, and it got funnier and funnier every time I saw them. Um, <laughs> but I raise my glass to you tonight. Thank you very much. That was spectacular. No, all joking aside, really... We we go hard when we do these parks. We actually clocked it. We did seven days in the parks. And over a 10-day trip in total, we cleared 100 miles in Disney. 100.1. I was exhausted. So I cannot even imagine what it would be like to do that, having to care for your children all day, make sure they have everything they need, cart them, and there's stuff around. So... Really, in all seriousness, we are in awe of you parents because I, I don't know how you do it and, and don't go crazy. But that's also why we will gang up on you if we see your children climbing a wall. That's correct. And for those parents that throw blankets over their kids' heads, you're the same parents that don't use a stroller as a battering ram. My ankles, thank you. <laughs> but I will say, I think in all the trips we've gone down, 
there was less of that than there has been in the past because a lot of people have weaponized the stroller in the past true. five to ten years. Wasn't a problem on this trip. No, I feel like this trip was a lot less chaotic. Yeah. Um, but we're ready to uh, introduce a little chaos into the world right now because we have a really cool giveaway. And I think that it's going to send people burning holes in their carpets as they run across their home to get to their computers and log on to Facebook and log on to iTunes and whatever else you need to log on to to take care of this because we have a fantastic prize pack for you. We can help. I have it right here. You can hear that beautiful blue Disney bag, the beautiful blue Disney Parks bag that we all have 400 of and we never throw them away. God forbid they change the bag one day. Um, but we have the and we'll even send you the bag. The bag within itself is enough of a gift. Some people would actually enter a contest just to win the parks bag. Uh, they they did with the the uh, Ziploc bag from uh, Splash Mountain. That's right, from Disneyland last year. They're a commodity. I know. All right, so I'm gonna dig through the bag. I'm gonna work with small prize and work up to good prize. Okay. Okay. As is the standard for any parks giveaway on monoreal radio we have included one park map from each park so you have a magic kingdom one you have an epcot one uh that is advertising the international food and wine festival which was delicious by the way we have one from i don't know what hollywood studios is because i've only gone to mgm um we have one from animal kingdom and we threw in one from disney springs which is in fact the fifth gate I dare anybody to argue with me on that. Disney Springs is the fifth gate. Yeah, it's an attraction all on its own. So we got you that. And then we got you a little something from Disney Springs. We were lucky enough to be in Disney Springs at the grand opening of the Ron John store at Disney Springs. They had been doing construction on it the whole trip, you know, the whole time that we were there. It was our last day, and uh, they were doing the grand opening. We got invited inside, and we got laid. We got laid. Uh, um, we got a, a, a nice little, uh, it's, it's like a red and white, uh, flowered lay here. We're going to include that in the prize pack. That's from the grand opening of, uh, the Ron John. In fact, we have two of them. So you get a pair. Jackie and I have both donated our, uh, <laughs> our lays to you. So congratulations. You've been laid, uh, by monorail radio we also have a, a, a we have a button we have a button from disney plus with the launch date on it uh november 12th 2019 we actually got this at disney springs uh same thing it was our last day i didn't see one giveaway for disney for, for disney plus the whole time that we were there i thought bells would sound i i thought there was going to be a lot more fanfare for this launch no but we did get a hold on our last day of a Disney Plus button. We are going to include that. And then the big one. The Disney Parks bag. No, I'm just kidding. We have a really, really cool prize here for you. We were fortunate enough to get invited to the taping of the Christmas Day Parade as well as some of the other Christmas specials that they do. For Freeform or Disney Channel. Right. I'm not sure ABC. where ours is going to end up airing. I know one of the things that we saw is going to Disney Channel. Yes. I want to say December 13th? 
Yes, you are right about that. Okay. That I remember. So they did do something that, that's going to air, and, and keep an eye on the social media, because um, we'll remind you, and you can go watch us as we dance and sing and look ridiculous. Um, but we were there when they taped everything else, and we were able to get our hands on a very limited release. And by very limited, I mean they literally... Ha- I had to wait in the store while somebody went into the back to retrieve this for me because they were not putting them out on the shelves. Yeah, Sean was gone for like 20 solid minutes on this one. You're welcome, folks. We were able to get you a limited release, very, very cool, Disney Parks Magical Christmas Day Parade pin. Don't trade it. (laughs) This is not a pin that you trade. This is one that you keep forever and always. No, it's really cool looking. It's it's like a starburst. It's gold with the Mickey Mouse inlay in it. It's really pretty. So these are the prizes that are up for grabs. That's our big prize pack to you. So all you have to do is give us a rating. Show us some love. Show us some love. Give us a rating on Facebook. Give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice iTunes would be fantastic, but you can pick whichever one you want because we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, iHeart, TuneIn, um, Podbean. We're all over the place. So if you give us a rating on any of those, if you give us a rating on our Facebook page, you are automatically entered to win. You have until 11.59 p.m. on on Sunday, uh, December the 1st. To enter. After that, the contest is closed. We will announce the winner on Tuesday, December 3rd, when we drop that week's episode. Uh, So that's it. That's all you got to do to enter to win this really cool, really exclusive Disney Parks prize pack. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week. I enjoy when we do these little bonus episodes because you're right. You said it earlier. We're not a Parks podcast. We are film centric but it's kind of fun sometimes to jump in and be on the other side of life and talk about the parks absolutely it's definitely fun to reminisce about our trip and uh yeah talk about the parks because for as much as disney is ingrained in your life with the movies the parks are where the memories are yeah no doubt about it and i think so many of us have those memories and the nostalgia is what keeps us coming back disney is one of those things where for value on the dollar they're consistent. You know what you're going to get every time you go. And that's why we keep going back, even as childless millennials. <laughs> Make sure you stay tuned. We're going to be dropping our newest review tomorrow where we discuss Tangled. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.